0: Just a quick content warning for this episode, we discuss suicide, genocide, and war crimes. This is an extremely emotionally charged episode, so please listen with discretion and be kind to yourself today.
1: Thanks for listening to the Subtext Podcast. We are a Leeds-based record label. We really hope you can get involved with our Patreon, which is only £3 a month, and will help support the label and the artists on it, and allow us to keep doing this podcast. But the best thing you can do is just tell other people. Tell other people about the music we're releasing, tell other people about the record label, and tell other people about the podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Subtext Podcast. My name is Ed. I'm Eli. I'm Seth. Hello, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, uh, We're very excited to be here, as always. Um, If you love what we do, there is a way you can help support us. Seth, tell us about that.
2: Oh, wow, it's like... Called Patreon, as we mentioned in the intro there, and um, and I know we said the best thing you can do is tell other people we about us, lying. but really the best thing you can do is give us money because yeah. you know we're into it. Uh, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing where you can like pay your rent and your bills and stuff. I've, I've heard of this. I'm really into that.
2: It's ex- it's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You don't have to live with your parents anymore, and oh. just at age 46, <laughs> you kind of you know. So it's Patreon.com/slash. Subtext. That's S-U-B-T-X-T. The E is stupid. Yeah, yeah the E is stupid. Have Go on, E. Yeah.
1: Um, have you, I've just suddenly had a realisation that this is essentially what we're doing is Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the younger members of the audience, you can You can Google you it. Can Google it's it. on Wikipedia. I, I thought, yeah, again, that's a full, you know, Gen Z, uh, down with the kids there, me.
0: So hip. Yeah. I think I'm going to okay. hurl. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I say spew. If, <laughs> if you hull and she boasts and, and you both and she, she leaves, she was never yours to begin with. Um, this is why everyone's, uh, uh, you know, tuned in for uh, for our weekly gathering. Uh, well, it's not weekly. It's whenever we can find the time gathering because we're all freelance creatives and trying to make a living. How has everyone's uh, week been? I'm going to say this, and I realize that I might be cussing. this. It seems to be injury stroke illness free this week.
0: Yeah, it was crazy because I had to climb out my front window to get out the the door today.
1: Not calamity free though.
0: Not calamity free. Yeah. Okay. The the door handle fell off of of our front door. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to climb out the window. And it's the same window that I fell out of a couple months ago. So that was really tricky and I'm feeling very proud of myself. Oh uh, you've for made that. progress. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah, none of us got ill. And uh, it
1: turns out Ed's toe wasn't broken no, after all. No, it wasn't so. broken. It was just very badly bruised. It, d- it, it had an amazing bruise on it, which is kind of
0: quite cool, to be honest. Yeah, yeah there is like a sense of pride with certain bruises. Yeah, yeah
1: and, and injuries. I am... Um, because I... I I, uh, a part a deli as one does uh, and when we were opening the opening week I managed to slice part of my thumb off which is now glued together uh, it's a shame we're not on YouTube or anything but can you see look at that oh I've like, got a really God. good like injury like I've got and I'm really proud of it to be honest nice. I, went, I had to go to A&E and have it glued back together and stuff <clears throat> proper sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seth how was your week? uh I can't really remember what ha- what
2: happened. Like the, Oh, he's half term. So, yeah, that's yeah. why I can't remember. Yeah, you yeah, blocked just, it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just hanging out with the kids, you know. We just, yeah. you know, cooking lots of meals and shit. Um, what did we do? We did we did some things, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just can't remember what I even mind.
1: Great. Good interview. All of us yeah. got
0: to try out a pretty cool uh, sandwich shop today.
1: Oh, was that the one I've just mentioned?
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a banger. Silver's Deli uh, in Bramley. <laughs> If you can find the missing piece of Ed's thumb, you get 50% off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to say no no body parts were actually lost. It was just a slice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I was really, really chuffed that you guys got to try it out.
0: That Um, has to be the best sandwich that I've... Actually, it has to be the best sandwich that I've had since I came to the UK.
1: I mean, I was saying this to you guys while you were eating it and enjoying it, uh, that... um, you know from two north americans you guys saying they were great sandwiches means a lot uh i have been doing stuff i've been editing a film version of a show uh, that has just gone back out on tour uh called the lighthouse which is the probably one of the best pieces of theater i've ever been involved with which i did the sound uh, and uh um orchestration for And it was a a really wonderful piece by Alice Williams, uh, which she writes and and performs in, and uh, my wife Andrew directed it, and uh, it's about about her partner, it's a real-life story about her partner who attempts suicide um, uh, and doesn't complete, and it's about them sort of dealing with that trauma and and kind of rebuilding themselves, and, and her dealing with it as a carer, and it's, an incredible piece of theatre like and it's beautiful and rather than it being kind of I mean obviously it deals with a lot of s- sadness within but it's also just really life-affirming and it, uh, we call it a love letter to life and it features some amazing music by uh Glenn Hansard who is just an ama- he's a wonderful singer-songwriter so that's gone back on tour this week so please go check that out The Lighthouse you can follow it on Instagram The Lighthouse Play um Wow, you remembered a lot more about your week than I did about mine. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I've been impressive. I mean, some of us were working, Seth. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, I was working and looking after my kids. Oh, look at that. Know. Me too. So I can't remember. I mean, I say looking after. I just throw them in a room and chuck some meat in every now and again, <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, they just fight over it. <laughs> I don't really, with any authorities lately. They're fine. They're well.
0: Yeah, I'm. You know, I can never, I can never contribute to any like conversations about kids because I'll just end up being that person that's like yeah same you know my cats oh yeah when, yeah. when my cats don't behave like don't uh,
1: you can't leave them in a house like, <laughs> <laughs> the official term is fur kid my that's
0: my fur child. My, <laughs> fur child my <laughs> no, fur, fur child uh
1: yeah but no so that's been great and I've, I've been editing the film version of that and lots of other things uh which is great i've I've had a, I've had a nice week i'm not gonna lie i've had a very nice week congratulations so uh, we're gonna have to do a new feature on, uh, on this podcast, which is called Artist, uh, Artist Spotlight, um, which we're really excited about. Uh, because the reason why we're doing this is because we started as a record label, and we still are a record label. Um, we And we are, in fact, releasing our first single of the year on...
0: April 5th. It's going to be a Down by myself, Oakley Riot.
2: Did you all know that Eli was Oakley Riot? Dun, it's dun, like dun, a big reveal. I'm not sure we made that clear. <laughs> I am your father. Like, there were little hints and, like, you know, yeah, whispers yeah. of it, but now it's...
0: Now yeah, my, my secret identity has been revealed. She kind right. of is
1: your… She is like your alter ego, though, isn't she?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I think the only reason why I can be like a generally positive person is because I channel all my anger and like rage into Oakley Riot.
1: Yeah. I kind of love that, that she is sort of like… The kind of like she's like the venom of you, like you know, like she kind of comes out of you. She's like the the kind of destructive, but like empoweringly destructive part of you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. This one's gonna be fun because it's about those. Um, I wrote it from the perspective of. uh, Do you know the live action Peter Pan film? I think it was in the two thousands. I don't know. Oh, there's these like murderous mermaids in in that film, and I remember being really like slightly freaked out, but also just thinking, yeah, I would, I would want to do that. That looks great. I would love to be a murderous mermaid. So I've uh, written this song from their perspective beautiful because they need representation
1: (laughs) they do yeah Um, all power to the
0: mermaids (laughs)
1: splash was just wasn't quite doing it as a movie
0: it wasn't (laughs) why are
1: you cringing seth oh splash man Um, you know i've not seen it for years but in my head it's great
0: (laughs) you know there's not a proper representation of all the mermaids around we've got like aquamarine (laughs) we've got h2o yeah we need some more murderous <laughs> sirens. Yeah. Our- yeah, I
1: mean,
2: Ariel's all a bit nice. Ariel's too nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked the ones in the Harry Potter
1: and the Dark Lake.
0: Oh, Black yeah, they cool. Those were great. Yeah. This is that kind of, it's yeah. that yeah, kind of
1: nice. Movie. So there's Oakley right, but the, uh, the first ever release we put out on the label was by Fold, which is Seth's.
2: Yeah, in case, uh, in case we didn't know that, that's me revealed I am the sort of benevolent dictator <laughs> of Fold. That's what I'm known as. I guess I kind of founded it. Um, If we're doing the artist spotlight now, that's the spotlight on me. I'm doing the artist spotlight. I am fold.
0: (laughs) You know, when we do these reveals, I'm just imagining like Clark Kent uncurling his one curl that makes him (laughs) (laughs) makes him like unidentifiable as Superman.
2: (laughs) 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 Although I am known as the benevolent dictator, there are other core members. We've got four in total, including myself. There is Sam Hutchison on guitar Phil Hepworth on bass and James Child aka Jimmy on the drums then we've got some ancillary characters the horn section run by the great Emma Johnson who we've mentioned before she plays sax and brings in usually Rosie on trombone and then we've got Kieran O'Malley who plays violin
1: the absolute legend Kieran O'Malley
2: yeah in addition to the core and ancillary members we have quite a few collaborators who have kind of come in and out over the years including uh, UK Poet Laureate Mr. G, um, Leeds Poet Natalie Davies, London-based activist and rapper Potent Whisper, rapper, beatboxer extraordinaire Motormouth, and Daisy Marty, who sang with both Noonday Underground and uh, actually more Chiba for a bit, although uh, they turned out to be dickheads. And then, of course, we're always looking for samples of... People who have spoken about things eloquently, um, because there is something about the human voice and the weight that it carries. Yeah, There's just a certain amount of gravitas and life experience that's contained within the sound of a voice. So there's something really magical that happens when you get the right kind of voice, saying the right kind of words over the right kind of music. It's like an emergent property that otherwise couldn't exist. So we're always looking for that. That's kind of how that came about. But yeah, 2012 is our official kind of start date. We, I'd moved up to Leeds by then and, and um, my daughter was born and I went out looking for some members to actually play live with. So our next gig is actually, uh, we mentioned this in the last podcast. It's at the Old Woolen in Leeds uh, in, a, in a place called Farsley. It's not in the city center. It's out in the kind of suburbs. Uh, it's an old part of an old mill. So there's lots of other kind of venues to eat and drink at around there. It's absolutely gorgeous inside and out. It's a big venue. Um, If you're thinking about, if you're entertaining the idea of going, it'd be great if you could buy tickets ahead of time because the venues need to see a lot of tickets being bought well ahead in order to have the confidence to go ahead with the gig. And it'll be fantastic crack. It's quite a spectacle with all those people on stage.
0: And you guys have just released a new song.
2: We have, yes. It's uh, called Forever War. Uh, It came out January 26th. Um, And this one, yeah, it's specifically challenging or calling out the military-industrial complex, because in the in the current climate, we are we are seeing a lot of um, a lot of messed up things happening in the world, and it's really time to ask some
1: questions about war in general. Mm. When you talk about the uh, military-industrial complex, I know like I yeah. know the words are in there, but can you kind of unpack that? What, I can. What, what, do, what yeah. do you mean by that? Well, to
2: start with, the the, <clears throat> the term "forever war." means um, this is also referred to as perpetual war or endless war which is basically a war that um, has no clear um, conditions to lead to its conclusion so it's basically meant to go on for as long as possible Um, and this is considered a construct of what is known as the military-industrial complex which itself is represented by it is the relationship between defense contractors military chiefs and politicians Mm. it's that Tight relationship between those three entities that comprises the military-industrial complex, and it exists in like the, the most the largest one is the United States, but it exists in the UK. Any any country that has a substantial military has this setup. The example of the genocide occurring in in Israel and Palestine, um, and I will I have to qualify this. I'm speaking as a descendant of. Um, survivors of the Holocaust. I, myself, uh, yeah, my, my extended family on my father's side, we're all Jews and we're all wiped out in the Holocaust. So this is a particularly poignant subject for me. It's quite, you know, deeply personal. So what we're seeing now is unquestionably genocide. And the whole world seems to not want this to be happening and is protesting and, you know, Most of the world's governments are taking a stand against it, and yet it's still happening. So we're left asking the question, why? We're not given a satisfactory answer. The United States and the UK governments are complicit in this genocide. They're facilitating it and still trying to make people believe that that they're trying to solve it, that they're trying to stop it. Of course, they're not. You know, the US just, for the third time, vetoed a UN resolution for you know, to call for a ceasefire, and the UK was supposed to vote on it. The smp yesterday tried to table a motion to vote on it, and Labour um, scuppered it, which is just unforgivable. It's it's just such a massive shit show, and it. But it, what it indicates is that there's something else going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. There's something there's something driving this that wants it to happen, and it's that unseen force. And what we're trying to draw attention to with forever war is the fact that at least in part that is the military industrial complex there's a huge amount invested in this conflict as as with the war in ukraine how long has that been going on mm-hmm. you know that is an example of endless war forever war um it's only feeding the uh, the military industrial complex it's generating immense profits for the defense industry as is uh, the genocide in gaza you know so <laughs> That's really, if you look at this conflict, what is who are the beneficiaries? Nobody wants this to be happening apart from the defense industry, who's making a shit ton of money. And there's there is also the geopolitical uh, or the geostrategic position of Israel uh, that that plays a role, of course. But as as good old Smedley Butler put it, it's uh, you know it's the only the only racket in which the profits are measured in dollars and the losses in lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, directly. Um, it's interesting to think kind of you know yeah why wouldn't labor who feel like a natural bed for Lotan to to not support the continuing conflict why why are they so actively you know working against that being stopped you know what 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 in what interest particularly when you think you know Keir Starmer is is a human rights lawyer you know that's that's who he is you know that he's not but so there's obviously other things at play here and you know what what you know what are the forces behind that exactly <laughs> yeah yeah um, we, we we don't
2: know exactly well we know that there are many many issues with labor having ties to israeli lobbies there's a lot of evidence of this and the uk's <laughs> complicity and you know well we're still supplying weapons to israel we we, we make the f-35 um yeah this is parts- a, the,
1: yet the party have been kind of repeatedly accused of anti Semitism. Yeah. And have been kind of dogged by it. In a lot of ways, it seems to be the kind of easy stick that the right wing media in particular, which is ironic, uh pull out and 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 be labeled with, which is they're anti Semitic and they have done very little to to stop anti Semitic behaviour within the party. Indeed. What what they've what seems to have been an attempt to normalize any
2: attempt to speak out against the actions of the Israeli state as being anti-Semitic—that's that's what's happened. That's that's that campaign against anti-Semitism and labor has resulted in that, and it has created a climate of fear. But there are a lot of people now speaking out against because it's not anti-Semitic to to, to object to what
1: Israel is doing in Palestine. It just isn't. Is yeah. it? Is it kind of? I mean, and for me, the easiest way to do it is just—it is to separate the people and the state. You know, in the same yeah. way that that you know, like. I don't see the behavior of the british government you know as representative of behavior of of british people and i don't see um i don't see the behavior of the saudi state as a representation of people the people of islam i don't see and i don't see uh the israeli state as a comment on the jewish community you Mm. know it's they're they're separate entities and to kind of conflate those into into the same thing seems ludicrous yeah, it's in, in fact
2: it's uh, part of the definition of of anti-Semitism, or the uh, the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism is any attempt to uh, blame Jewish people for the actions of the Israeli state is anti-Semitic. But therefore, <laughs> it is also anti-Semitic to um, to call somebody anti-Semitic for for questioning the actions of the Israeli state it's
1: crazy yeah but yeah and and it and you know and because anti-semitism is real and rife and on the up without a doubt you know and there's no doubt and this is the problem with these kind of situations is they only polarize people which is we all know it only works to the benefit of of kind of the people who sit above us you know the more we fight amongst each other the more easily more manipulated we are and which is why you know kind of this binary conversations on the internet about everything from geopolitical water you know which Star Wars is fucking any good, you know? Is but they become everything's become a battleground, right? Yeah. And that's that only benefits the people who want to keep us fighting.
0: And most you know. people like to fight with headlines too. Like, yeah. It, it's it's often seen that if you can't fit, if you if you have a well thought out opinion that has um a lot a lot of different angles and a lot of different ideas within it and most of these situations are extremely complicated and multi-layered and there's a lot of different um, ways that you could look at it. It's often seen that if you are unwilling to shorten your opinion into something that is divisive, eye-catching, and simple, then you're sitting on the fence and you have no opinion and therefore you are part of the problem. But if I don't want to argue with you on a Facebook thread that's going to limit me at 300 characters and not allow me to actually accurately portray what I'm thinking, then we're just, we're simplifying it. We're fighting with headlines. yeah, And that also adds to the divisiveness, adding to the divisiveness of people who don't truly understand the full picture. And there are people like that on both of the sides yeah
1: absolutely i mean you think about like you you know back to your point which i think is such a salient one um in the last general election which was uh and corbyn's i think great unraveling was that he didn't have a position on brexit you know and it was essentially a second referendum and corbyn uh he uh he finally came out and said listen um i'm i don't think i should have a say on this i don't i don't think it's for me as I think I should be the arbitrator. I shouldn't be the the kind of, the, you know, telling people what to do. And that is a very nuanced, difficult position for a leader to take. Mm. Um, uh, and it didn't sit. And the Tories' almost ingeniously simple slogan was get Brexit done. Three words. And it, destroy, it destroyed Corbyn. It mm. destroyed him. Because it made him look like he was, he couldn't, form action it it, and he it was three words that kind of and you could read that however you wanted like yeah we need to get brexit done because it's really important or let's just get it done because it just needs to get get," it it was it was a stroke of genius but it had no there was no substance to it in Mm. terms of you know we are still living in the absolute shit show which is brexit you know which was going to be the easiest uh if
0: you li- couldn't see that that was, was uh, ed doing air quotes yeah
1: yeah uh, uh easiest um you know divorce that was ever going to be apparently but as as it turned out was an absolute nightmare i'm sorry i've totally derailed no, but, but it's it, all it, part of the same conversation it is, isn't it, it
2: well it's all the same phenomenon it's it's what's it's what being being done by mainstream discourse in both mm-hmm. cases yeah because what we're seeing, well, see, it's exactly the same thing. What you see is, and what we're witnessing, I think, to the greatest extent that we ever have in Palestine, is the the cognitive dissonance caused by the you know the reality on the ground that we can actually see with our own eyes colliding with the facade of of mainstream discourse that's been that we've all been indoctrinated that's with for so very overly long.
0: simplified and yeah. Extremely divisive and meant to yeah. be divisive. Yep. Yeah. And,
2: and it, this latest development in, in this country with you know with the, the situation in Parliament last night demonstrates that so very, very clearly. It reveals that these there are these global power structures. Oh, it motivated. completely shits on the whole the whole situation in Gaza. It's as if, you know, this this is they made it about them. They made it about mm-hmm. them. And and it was also about you know, MPs feeling threatened. Uh, you know, to to vote, they're pressured to vote a certain way, or else they would be under some kind of threat. Which is just, you know, it's completely taking the, you know, all the all the focus off of off of what is an extreme humanitarian crisis, and just, you know, wallowing in their own little petty,
1: you know, political bickering well it's exactly the same they did did exactly the same with brexit right yeah that that was just a a a big a big theater show for the tory party so they didn't actually have to i mean we've had no policy put in place in this country for maybe five six years now no real solid policy Mm -hmm. you know it's all just been well we're gonna do this but nothing's actually happened The, the this kind of continuous like inaction and inertia um and you know any vote i think that i'm really sorry to say this but i don't think the vote for for labor is going to be a vote for labor it's a vote against the tories yeah ultimately it's not it's not a satisfaction with what labor is summing up what are uh, serving up it's a dissatisfaction with the action of the tories oh, I, I think labor just declared moral bankruptcy yesterday i mean if they hadn't already this
2: this yeah. this was the final nail in the coffin for me and and i i wouldn't i wouldn't vote for this this version of Labour, I just, I would, personally.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of almost made peace with voting Labour because, you know, like, and weirdly enough, I now because I was a big Corbynite and and I really, I really felt his policies were really strong and I think that was it, it wasn't a court of personality, it was that I really believed in his policies. Yeah. And Starmer, I've been, never been very impressed by, um, I've never really liked his stance, I've never realized liked his, his attempt to be populist um, and then he, and then I kind of, heard a piece about you know it's like well who do you trust someone who is you know a hedge fund manager or or a or someone who's a um a a, a civil um, and a human rights um lawyer and i was like yeah well that's actually a really simplified argument but actually yeah i'd sooner have him so i'll vote for him and it's actually a bit like but i don't know if i can i really i don't know if i can bring myself eli i'm gonna throw this to you like as someone who's younger than we are do you feel any kind of connection towards the political powers that be?
0: uh I mean it's a hard one I think I think that um I think that in in my generation i'm I'm technically Gen Z. I'm right on the I'm right on the threshold but I'm technically Gen Z. And so I did grow up in the bite, bite-sized clickbait information era um, and so I think that there is a kind of cognitive dissonance that is created um, by this sort of juxtaposition of these headlines that come from social media being our main source of information that are heavily biased either side and oversimplify in order to get extreme reactions. Um, And then on the flip side, also feeling like outside of being a sort of keyboard warrior, feeling like we have no power. So I think there is kind of a cognitive dissonance created by that because you read these headlines and these stories that are meant to incite rage or despair or or, or some sort of huge extreme emotion, but then you also feel this incredible helplessness um, and this feeling that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, outside of arguing with Steve from Alabama on Facebook— um, Nothing that I say, nothing that I do, is going to make a difference. is Is the kind of general feeling of being of, of being defeated um, already? Like the idea that you know, so many of these institutions that we would want to challenge have been in place for so long and are still being controlled um, by a by a generation and by a group of powerful people that predate us. Like as the new generation, as the more, slightly more um, socially, overall slightly more socially conscious generation at a young age. So when you have those two extreme modes that you're flip-flopping between, I do think that your brain kind of kicks in to protect yourself and creates this kind of dissonance. And then you have to throw in the guilt of feeling like then you're not doing anything and you're not making any, making any progress anywhere. But I do think that a lot of people in the younger generation feel they are conscious of the fact that they feel very stuck and like immobile and not sure which direction is the right direction and where can we put our voices where they'll be heard and do we have a right to speak on these topics do we know enough about these topics like it's just there's so much information from everywhere that part of you feels like just shutting down
1: yeah i hear that yeah, I, 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 yeah, I. Weirdly enough, don't think that's uh, something that's necessarily exclusive to you. I think. Oh, I don't think it's exclusive. I just think yeah. that our
0: generation experienced it younger.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think you know. I remember, you know, I remember when we voted the Tories out in you know ninety seven, and that felt like such a positive move. And and I know it was very simple, but there was a sense of hope. There was a sense of there's something better, you know. Things can only get better, as as, as Tony coined. Um, we again, we we talked about this before, but the amount of information that's thrown at us now, it's it's hard to disseminate where our where our kind of path is. Where mm. do we Where do we go?
0: And I think a lot of information is also used as um, I think that when you have a, a strong opinion on one thing, let's say that you know you have a very strong opinion on this one topic and you've researched it and you feel that you've formed a very well-rounded, thoughtful, insightful opinion on this thing, there then comes the argument of, well, if you care about this, then what about this? And what about that? And what about that? And so rather than saying, oh, you've chosen this thing and that's better than doing nothing. You've spoken out about this one thing. People are saying, well, if, you, if you're talking about this, then you have to talk about all of these other things as well, or it doesn't count. Yeah. You don't count.
1: Everyone needs something to believe in, right? You know, we had religion, that's gone, right? We know that's... And, we, we, and ultimately, and I think there's a lot to be said for it, is that while I have no real attachment to religion at all, I understand that the in the Western society, and particularly in the UK, the vacuum that that is left like the deconstruction of the church has left is people scrabbling around for stuff to believe in right mm. and and also the deconstruction of our you know we don't think that our, 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 our Parliament is an upstanding place where decent folk do decent things. We think it's morally bankrupt and you know corrupt. So you can understand, so I can understand why people are looking for totems. Mm. And this is why populism has 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 grown, right? That's why we've seen the rise of the likes of Trump. Why would the you know these kind of very simple uh, Farage, you know, they're simple figures to get behind because they're selling simple things. They also have the media behind them. Yeah, and, absolutely. And unfortunately, again, I
2: keep coming back to the media is the elephant in the room in this country, especially, but yeah. but everywhere. Oh uh, yeah, the absolutely. Global, the global media. And, you know, if you break it down, each national media plays its own specific role. The British one is is one of the most toxic and problematic. And I don't think that we can actually change the way power works in this country without having another proper
1: inquiry into how the press is regulated because it is a self-regulated press that the, our relationship with with media is so difficult I th- it's, it's such a difficult relationship and and i struggle with it as well like you know and it's like well who do you believe you know and it's like what you know because and again it's that thing of like that's why when when you when you struggle to believe in something when something comes along you talk about it last week we about about the cult right cultism mm. and you know like it's that thing isn't it people just want to believe in something so when something looks attractive and easy, then that's, I mean, you know. It's also, it's, even if you have the benefit or privilege of a, of a, a you know, a middle-class
2: education, a, a bachelor's degree, Which actually or I do, yeah. And, yeah, and, I, and yeah. I do. But even then, it takes a considerable effort to have to second-guess and question and take everything with a pinch of salt that you see in the media. But you have to absolutely do that because there's always an agenda.
0: There was, a, um, actually, this does relate back to the, the, the cult thing that I was explaining um, the, the other week. Um within the Nixium cult, there was this uh, publication called The Knife, um, and it was on like Fox News and a lot of right-wing media, um, uh, a lot of right-wing media news sources for a while, especially during the Trump election, because it was supposedly to eliminate bias from the media. But what they did was they were looking at like, quote-unquote, emotionally charged words, And the issue with that was then if you take the phrase a man attacked a woman and you think that the word attacked is an emotionally charged word, it goes from a man attacked a woman to a man did something to a woman and then you've missed the point of what was happening entirely. And so the amount of like there will be certain charged words in pretty much any publication and and bias and things like that. I think that all you can do is... Do your best to read up from multiple sources and figure out for yourself.
1: Well, it's you know when you start referring to human death as collateral collateral damage, yeah, you know, that's when we're like, oh, we are literally looking away. You know, yeah. it is the kind of how we're framing stuff. You know, to kind of and it's subtle and it's really you know the use yeah. of language will be very subtle and it but it can it can steer the the path and the stream very easily. Mm-hmm. Exactly,
0: and um. I'd like to ask a question around this because we just watched, uh, before this podcast started, we had actually just watched the video for Forever War. And it's incredibly it's powerful. It's in- incredible.
1: It incredible really is. Yeah, a, sorry. I, I didn't really know what to say after I watched it because yeah. I was a little bit like, ouch. Yeah. It's it was, like still in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a um, tough watch. It's, yeah. It's brilliant, though. And yeah. it's, a, it's a piece of art. It really is, man.
0: 100%. Thanks. But I wanted to ask um, because, yeah, definitely a warning for, you know, Uh, genocide and graphic violence within that, within that video. It is, it is an incredible watch. Um, But I wanted to ask about while you're, while you were creating this track and while you were creating that video, did it feel like a, an outlet of some sort or did you feel like there, were there any ways that you sort of protected your own mental health while exposing yourself to those types of images and those kinds of things for an extended period of time in order to create this video.
2: Yeah, my the investment of my own personal history in it, you know. I used there is in fact a clip in the in the video of the people from my own grandfather's village, Ostrow Mazowiecka in Poland. Um he wasn't there. He he left before the Second World War, but um in one event, uh, 2 days after my father or sorry, 2 days before my father was born in 1939. The all the Jews from that village were rounded up and brought out to a field, made to dig a pit, and shot one by one. Hundreds of them, you know. And and there's I used a clip of them in in that video. There's a, the the Nazis took photos of the whole pro- process, and it's an extremely painful image to to have to look at because I don't know if any of them are my relatives or not. Mm. So mm. this is—I don't know—the whole thing was sort of a part of a process I needed to go through, and I think it's—it's it's really important to be able to connect with this stuff emotionally, because so much of uh, we're exposed to so much violence that it's—we've come so desensitized to it. And what struck me about the reason I put in this footage of um, genocide from not just from World War II but also the Rwandan genocide mm. and and other images um, is because we actually don't see we don't see it very much. It's we're not shown that. We're shown the sort of hollywood version mm. of violence a lot, but we're not shown the actual pictures, the the grim reality of what actually happened. And yeah, I wanted to to try and help other people kind of reconnect with the human side of that because yeah, our, we, we've just become desensitized to war in general and that's a that's a very deliberate construct. So yeah, but it, yeah, I didn't really do anything to protect myself from it. I just went, I went, you know, went
0: deep into yeah, it. Yeah, I
2: just took it, took a dive into it, and yeah, I'm not going to do it again for a while.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I way. think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there are. I think that when you care about a cause, it is possible. I always say it's possible for two things to be true at once, and it is possible to feel deeply. Motivated and deeply purposeful, while creating something that is also deeply troubling and tiring and exhausting to put together, and that you need to take a break from yeah. afterwards, which, in its own, is is a sort of form of of protest and self love and um, just you know you've I yeah I just wanted to say it was an incredible piece of work and I I can't Thank imagine you. the amount of of yourself that went into that and the the amount of Things that you were exposed to while creating that so yeah i just think it, I, I thought it was a really brilliant one of your most brilliant songs and videos that i've seen yeah i
1: agree thanks i agree
2: thanks guys that's all right i mean i was i'm really just motivated by not wanting this to ever happen again to anyone and yeah. i'm seeing it happening right fucking now and mm-hmm. i can't bear it and like we were saying about feeling powerless i feel powerless yeah and this is this is why I've done it. You know, I absolutely, as an artist, I feel compelled to do something to contribute somehow to, you know, elevating the discourse maybe in, a, in even a small way. And that's, yeah, that's a strong motivator. Um, so I hope, yeah, part of it was to also just to be open about it might also encourage other people who you know other artists to be like all right i'm gonna find try to find a way to address this i'm gonna try find a way to tackle
1: it i suppose one of the um one of the interesting things for me and almost one of the it's a difficult one to use the word positive but i suppose the upshots of what has happened in the past few years sort of since the tories came back into power is that um the amount of political music getting made has 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 risen exponentially i remember in the 90s if you made political music basically it was sort of from the mid 90s onwards sort of when everyone was like it was post thatcher and everyone's like oh listen we've done all that man thatcher's gone you know it's hey good times are here and it became an absolute no-no to make political music mm. it was like you're it, right it was like no no, no we've done that now we've, that's we're dead
2: yeah that's that that was a stigma it was a really powerful stigma
1: and i get it and i you know like there's a famous quote for is it from michael jordan who said you know like i you know i don't talk about who i you know i vote for because you know uh um republicans republicans wear sneakers sneakers too Yeah, Yeah, yeah 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 i mean yeah yeah but it does feel like musicians have gone you know actually i believe you know suddenly billy bragg it doesn't feel like you know the oh Uncle Billy in the corner still banging on about unions, is he? You know, and actually those songs you know, I heard um, uh, Between the Wars the other day by Billy Bragg, which is just like he you know, he's really young man, he wrote, he was about ninety when he wrote it. It's fucking heartbreaking. It's a heartbreak and it's more heartbreaking now than it was then. And part of his heartbreak is that it's still relevant. It still feels like, you know, like Oh, well nothing has really changed. Yeah. yeah well, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I, I don't know if I totally believe that. I don't I, I In terms I, of the global power
2: structures t- is what in, I'm yeah, talking
1: about. I, I I understand what you're saying about global power structure. I from an I yes absolutely global power structure from a societal point of view and from seeing like, you know, I got a trans kid and I understand there is a lot going on around the trans community, but you know, I grew up in an age where you couldn't be gay and now, you know, like, you know, kids are just wandering around with pride badges and there's, you know, like essentially it's been normalized. So I'm, I'm always careful not to kind of just go we're stuck because change has happened and it is happening. I think if we do push the narrative i agree with you about the about the global constructs but i think if we say that change is impossible then oh i didn't say that change was impossible uh, by, yeah. by, by no means no, that's by what no i mean i think i think we need oh, to no, be no. careful kind of go nothing's changed and nothing will change it's, i i think they can it does but it happens it happens here i think it happens on the ground because and ultimately what we need to do is flip it and make Make the governments afraid of us, not us afraid of oh, the governments. I completely agree.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and I do think that art is an incredible equalizer for that. And I think that art is an accessible way to feel like you're an agent of change as well. You know, like you have created this intelligent, incredible piece of work that you've then. And I'm looking at Seth because I'm talking about fold. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but rather than you know getting into an argument that that with a drunk guy at a pub or something like that, you have used your art um, to amplify your voice and the voice of people. And I think that art is an incredible way to give yourself and to give others hope that we 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 ourselves may not be able to change things on a global scale. As a singular person, but with things like art uniting us and creating the space to start a conversation, there is hope there.
2: Absolutely, there's always hope. I, I yeah. cling on to hope, and mm. what makes me cling on to hope in this case is is that very thing that that um, this. I think these global this could be the undoing of these global power structures because what has what has actually happened unwittingly. They have exposed themselves. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they've they've exposed the fact that in fact they operate outside of any kind of law, outside of international law, outside of outside of what their constituents want them to actually do and how to represent them, and it's radicalized an entire generation of people, and even even people who are fairly you know conservative or like white Americans. Mm-hmm. have sided with Palestine for the first time. And I, I mean like working class white Americans who have been fed this shit about Israel for decades upon decades and they're 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 finally going, "What? We're poor. You're you're giving billions to Israel. You know, billions of military aid and we're all sat here without health care. What the fuck is this about?" You know?
1: Yeah, so, so even if it plays into kind of want a better way's kind of uh, Trump, sort of Trump, yeah, Trump <laughs> or nationalism, then yeah, yeah, I, know, it, I see what you're saying. Unfor- yeah, I mean,
2: we're not going to get out of it by voting for either Trump or Biden. And in the same, it is in this country. We can no longer be, I think, fooled into, into believing that you're going to get us out of this situation if you vote for the other guy, you know, the the, the two party, the bipartisan know well, it's a, a
1: two-party system just isn't it's dysfunctional it is it is, a, it is it's yeah. not a
2: democracy and if in effect it's it's just a thinly veiled oligarchy it's rule ruled by a very
1: small group of people who have all all the money um so just to go back to the point you made the really great point about kind of uh art as sort of like a unifier. i think what art does is create communities right Which is something you, as Fold, really, that's a big thing for Fold. It's about actually, in the true community, lies the salvation of the world, is to quote the great Bell Hooks, um, which I heard in a Fold song, um, Choose Love, which, as you know, is my favourite Fold song. Ah, I love that song. So we are a community, the three of us, we're a little family now, right? We spend a lot of time together, and we're sort of three probably quite disparate people who are living our own lives, but now we... We're here together doing this, and that is because of creativity, and you know? I just love that.
0: Mm. The,
1: the, the, we never would have met otherwise, right?
0: Yeah, that's so true. You know, like,
2: <laughs> oh, I, I think I should, um, I probably should have done this at the beginning. But if we're doing an artist spotlight, if, <laughs> if you want to check Fold out, because I mean, oh yeah, uh, good, 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 uh, yes, good please, yeah, test. oh yeah, make sure, There's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're on all the social media. If you just go to our web, please go to our website if you're going to check us out, because everything is on there. It is fold.fm as in Federated States of Micronesia. Obviously. Obviously.
0: Of course. That
2: is, in fact, their domain. But yeah, full.fm where all our stuff is there, all the music there, is there. And um, if rather than following us on any social media account, please just join the mailing list. It is on the bottom of every mm. single page, and it's very easy to do. But that way, we can communicate with you directly. And this this holds true for all of our artists. It's m- much, much better for us to have that direct line of communication than to... to put it all in the hands of a social media company who is algorithmically tricking you into doing various other things and might one day just not broadcast
1: anything we say to you so yeah maybe yeah join I, the I, I see list. how you folded that in so ah, <laughs> Yeah, join the fold. Oh, you couldn't see very... that, but
0: uh, we just startled Ed's dog.
1: Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. We we've, we've been joined <laughs> oh, today honey. by by Honey, uh, my dog, uh, who has been just who has been full studio dog today. Yeah. Hey, Honey. Hey, Honey. No. So, recommendations.
0: Oh, ah. Uh, I'm
1: looking at you, Eli. Yeah.
0: So, I guess I'm starting it off. Yeah. You, you, you've got to go this week. I
1: went first last week. You're going this week.
0: All right. Um this is one of my favorite films. Uh it's called Lovelace, uh starring Amanda Seyfried, and it is the true story of um Linda Marciano, also known as uh more popularly known as Linda Lovelace, who was the star of the first um of the first mainstream pornographic film ever shown in the states. Um the she the actress or the, the person herself, uh, Linda Marciano, act- was only in the porno- pornography industry for like 17 days. Um, but her life then became defined by that. And she was in an extremely abusive relationship. So I will give a trigger warning for like sexual assault, for domestic violence, all of that stuff. Um, but the movie itself is both beautiful and harrowing. And the structure of the film is just really ingenious because the first half is kind of showing what people saw on the outside and then they sort of replay the first half of the film but what was going on behind the scenes. I've heard of this. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's
2: been on my list for a long time. Yeah, and Amanda Seyfried
0: is like truly as ever exquisite in this film. Um, So that would be my Mm. recommendation because it's also just a little bit of history. Nice. Yeah.
1: We all like a bit of history.
0: Yeah.
2: Seth? Yeah, I'm gonna go in with a really obvious one, but I'm gonna highly recommend Andor, the Star Wars series. Oh, okay. I know like it's it's Disney and I've kinda like have supposed to be boycotting Disney, but do you know what? For me, Andor is if you're into Star Wars, for me it is the best thing that Star Wars has ever done. That's for, for me personally. Even even. I will go so far as to say above Empire.
1: Yeah, that's bullshit. Now you've crossed the line. I was fine. <laughs> I was like, I didn't really get like Andor. thought it was a bit boring, but I'm not going to say, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, <Seth." laughs> You Come here with that kind of language. Get, get Empire out of your mouth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then there's me in the middle who is not big on Star Wars oh, it's like fuck oh, you <laughs> I'm even right worse. that's it <laughs> Boom. subtext
1: is over <laughs> yeah we're done people <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here we are talking about nuance and yeah, tolerance yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: this is the thing that, that <laughs> broke yeah. us no I really I should give Andor another try because I think I think I wasn't in the, in the right frame of mind to watch it uh, and I th- I've heard so much good about it
0: but the so, fuck you to me still stands oh yeah fuck okay. you
1: <laughs> so the thing the thing
2: about <laughs> and and to me, and to you, yeah. <laughs> The reason I think it's so good is because it is, it is the one show, or the, in fact, the one like piece of mainstream um art, I guess. Visual, uh, what is it? Me- moving, what the fuck is the word? Moving image,
0: animation, pictures, An-
2: uh, oh, moving, stop motion. It's just film, mate. What can you? It's not though. It's like a, it's a series. Series, a series, a series. But, series. But like series. within series films. All of it. The one that's 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 managed to get under the skin of how, how global power structures work and how, how the, th- the sort of thought, the thought machine of the empire worked. And they go into, they, they delve the inner workings of it. And the, the, the scenes of, of the, the internal service bureau Um, Which is like the empires, you know, CIA or or FBI, all all combined. (laughs) Those those meetings are just so brilliantly written and cast, and oh my god, the cast is fucking amazing. Yeah, the cast
1: is really good. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that.
2: And there's like there's this one bit of a manifesto that one of one of the characters who I won't give too much away, but like I am actually
1: going to read a quote from it. So far, there's meetings and manifestos. This says fucking Star Wars to me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. lightsabers.
0: Yay!
1: (laughs) this is a little quote from that
2: manifesto okay the imperial need for control is so desperate because it's so unnatural tyranny requires constant effort it breaks it leaks authority is brittle oppression is the mask of fear
0: oh damn
2: now come on
1: come on makes me want to go buy a lightsaber
0: yeah
2: exactly (laughs) (laughs) it's about how how you affect change in the face of Total adversity, and that is where the so hope is born in each one of those acts of resistance against tyranny.
0: I and love that. I can totally I, track how this is your.
1: Yeah. Right. How, how
0: this this piece is your your pick of the week. I can completely track that.
1: Yeah, it's boring grown ups <laughs> Give me fucking give me give me give me Ewoks. I like the Ewoks. I actually do like the Ewoks as well. So fuck everyone who hates the Ewoks. I love the Ewoks. My dad said I was an Ewok. He's call me a teddy bear warrior. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: so I love the Ewoks because my dad loved them.
0: You, you were kind of looking at me during that. I was, I was like, I don't have a stance on the Ewoks specifically. <laughs> Fuck you, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Seth. How do you, huh? What do you stand on the Ewoks? What do I stand on the Ewoks? <laughs> on their faces.
2: <laughs> Ooh, Harry. <laughs> uh, um oh I don't know man like come on I loved loved Jedi when I was a kid of course I did you know but they kind of ruined it with all the extra animated scenes and shit of course yeah
1: we're not we're not talking about the George Lucas fucks with his own work it also does I mean I love Empire but it does have the worst line in the entire trilogy which is oh does it Oh, oh here go on. Oh sorry, in the trilogy, not in the whole saga. Oh, okay. Because the whole saga we we can just look at at episode two. I carved it out of a chapor snippet. (laughs) (laughs) I hate sand. It's so cool. (laughs) I gets in everything. Me and my kids make fun (laughs) of that one all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This would make Master Obi-Wan very bumpy. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. But yeah. Sorry, everybody. The the line is uh, is Hold me. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's all oh, you, scruffy-looking nerve herder. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> Fuck you. And uh, what
0: about
1: what about you, Ed? What's your? Oh, uh, I, I recommend not to watch And And Und- <laughs> It's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, watch something really fun, guys. Uh, no, uh, my recommendation is is Parks and Recreation. Yes! Oh, yeah, because you know the world is a compl- complicated complex compl- I can't even say it complicated place it's difficult. it's a hard place to maneuver and manage and sometimes we just need to be with people who are lovely. yeah and the people of Pawnee are both lovely and terrible all at the same time uh, they're flawed and difficult but I just love them so parks and recreations if you haven't seen it
0: it's it's, like soul food
1: it's soul food it's beautiful so it's set in the fictional town of pawnee in indiana uh it's about the first two series i'm going to say this are not very good yeah they are subpar they are wannabe office it's a wannabe office the first two series it doesn't really know what it is leslie Nope in the first series is a bit hapless and crap and he's sort of like a bit just over eager but not very good. Then they realize what they've got. Yeah. And they realize that in Amy Poehler they've got a fantastic and they've got a brilliant cast that actually, rather than trying to be sort of slightly esoteric and weird, they suddenly go, oh, these are just really lovely characters and maybe we should just lead into that. And they do. And when they do, it's gorgeous. And the arrival of Rob Lowe um is just brilliant chris traeger is literally the greatest thing ever on television ever that Um, is
0: literally the nicest thing anyone's ever said about chris traeger
1: it's great Uh, it's just really well written it's really funny um it's really knowing uh it's witty but it's not smug um Mm. uh, and so it really walks that fine line of being been really gentle and beautiful, but without being twee and shit. So it's where Chris Pratt started, who yes. obviously went on to become like Mr. Action Hero in uh in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that kind of it's stuff.
0: Also, Aubrey Plaza got started there, uh,
1: who's incredible, who's
0: brilliant,
1: brilliant. Uh, Chris Pratt. Uh, the only problem with Chris Pratt is that I can't really take him seriously as a. He's great in guys because obviously he's a bit of a silly character, but in when I saw him in Jurassic World, and he stood there with his hands on his hips and all like a thing was. <laughs> Damn it, Macklin, you son of a bitch.
0: Yeah, Burt uh, Macklin, FBI. FBI.
1: Which is one of his <laughs> alter egos. Um, oh, God, it's great. Anyway, so yeah, so mate, so with all this stuff, after you've watched Andor and gone, fucking hell, Star Wars <laughs> is boring, isn't it? Go and watch Parks <laughs> with Rex and, and myself, please, with life. <laughs>
2: One more thing about Andor,
1: just to counter that little that little dig there. Go on, I love well, how you get these little dig. There was no there was no little dig. It's, it's massive. I thought it was boring as fuck. But I woke did, up you after it.
2: Did you watch the whole thing? Did I, you really?
1: I started watching it, and I'm not going to lie. I started falling asleep numerous times while watching it.
2: Okay, yeah. I mean, I would I would say, like with Parks and Recreation, it takes about two or three episodes to to really get going because it's it's a long arc, but it has arguably the greatest badass. In all of Star Wars, Stellan Skarsgård playing the guy who's actually turns out to be the architect of the entire rebellion. And he is the most fucking badass character ever in Star Wars. I stand by that.
0: And if you like Star Wars, you should both watch Firefly.
2: Okay. If you haven't seen
0: Firefly, it's 14 episodes. It got canceled after 14 episodes (laughs) because they aired them out of order (laughs) back in like 2004. There's only 14 episodes. It's not much of your time, but you will love it. It's Nathan Fillion and it's Brilliant.
1: Firefly. Okay. Cool.
0: Firefly. I've just an extra added because we went into sci fi. So I have to throw that in Fair there. Quite
1: right. Right.
0: Watch Firefly. Wow, that's like my voice cracked. <laughs> oh, I God love you, it. it. I love it so much.
1: I feel this w- feels like the perfect way to end on it. Uh, <laughs> in that voice. Uh, so I, my name's Ed, Seth,
0: and Eli. And until next week, dig deep and shout loud. Shout loud. <laughs> <laughs>